1: No jumper, coolest podcast in the world, and today we're in here. with Steve Rifkin, how you doing, Steve?
0: I'm good, man. How are you? Excellent,
1: excellent indeed. Just staying cool in this nice, you know. I mean, you know, it's hot out because like we have the AC cranking, but we're still kind of
0: hot. Well, you were I was going to wear a sweatshirt too earlier, but mm. it's, you know, but it's definitely like 104 degrees out.
1: It's easier to style when you have some sort of larger garment, you know, t-shirt and shorts. It's kind of hard to make it look good. <laughs> exactly. Especially being older white guys, <laughs> like it's uh, it's not easy. But have, have you completely uh, given up on uh, the the fashion side of your life? Or was, did that happen at some point?
0: Um, I was never. I was always a sweatpants guy. So mm. I, um, when I was younger, I would love to go into meetings like with CEOs and chairmen and just wear a sweat outfit for shock value. Mm.
1: Yeah, people are always kind of shocked that I can get away with it and that I choose to. Slight interruption there. (laughs) Um, Yeah, what did you consider that? Because like now, I feel like it's so hip hop to get dressed up a lot, whereas like you know, I, I can see that side of things too, where it feels like you go into a. Label meeting, and you just got sweatpants on. That's pretty badass, too. No,
0: so it was definitely label, but I had another company, which was a marketing company. Mm -hmm. And um, we were dealing with Fortune 500 companies, and I would still, you know, I'd have a meeting with the CEO of General Motors. And if it's during the summer, I'm wearing this. Right. Um, You know, one time, you know, we had a meeting with um, Ralph Lauren. Uh Ralph Lauren. The guy. The guy. Not the brand. And um, I went in with a bathrobe (laughs) just to even out the playing field. And uh, how do you think that went over? It went well. We got the account. Mm. (laughs) That's beautiful.
1: You know, okay, when you mentioned the street team, there was this observation that I heard somebody make at some point. Maybe I'll just claim it as my own. But they said that Master P conceptualized what the internet was going to be like before he had access to that technology in the sense of dropping constant projects and like really blanketing his area with this content that you know like like it it would make a lot more sense if he had been doing that on the internet but he sort of figured it out before that was readily available when i read about you and the street team and stuff it kind of stands out to me as like you almost figured out digital marketing before digital marketing was available
0: I appreciate that. Um, maybe. I, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure it out. So, I'm still trying to figure out digital marketing now. But, you know, the thing with Pete, I don't know. It, I mean, that concept was incredible. But mm. to me, the reason why he did it, and me and him never even had a conversation about it, was was the only way to get paid. Mm. Right? Because so he was going through priority, even though they were, they were indie, but they were with, with a major. So the thing was to get as much product as you possibly can and just keep on coming so you know that you'll get paid because Mm -hmm. if you're going to put out a record once every few months the distributors in those days wouldn't pay you
1: right that makes sense were you when you look back at uh or when you look at you know marketing a record now does that era of the street team being like your your main way of uh heating an artist up does that seem kind of quaint do you like miss that era
0: um I miss it because that that I really understood it you mm-hmm. know I'm in business now with my nephew I don't know where he went mm-hmm. um, and my son you know and they're all about digital marketing and I just want to pull my fu- I have no hair but it's just like right. like no we gotta we gotta own the streets first still and then all this digital shit Come with that afterwards,
1: okay?
0: Um And they look at me like I have
1: four eyes. Really? Yeah. So you still think that putting up posters? And, and I'm, I'm not talking about putting up posters.
0: because even in those days, I didn't think putting up posters, like what is that really going to do? Right. Because you're walking by so fast, or you're driving by so fast. To me, it was always putting the record in the right hands of the right people. Mm. And to me, that's what street marketing was about—not going to the to top of the Empire State Building and vinyl wrap. The fucking antenna of the right. empire. I mean, who's going to look up a hundred floors? You know. So, to me, but it was like, you know what? If the doorman and give him a, a box of stickers or posters, and everybody that's walking through, right. that's something else. But just to put up a poster, that I, I didn't believe in that. Really? So
1: that wasn't a big part of
0: what you were. doing? I mean, it was. With? It was a part because people. Was what we did with pun. Mm. You know, we took. You know, Joe said, let's just blanket the whole West Side Highway. Right. And we, you know, so it was like one big mural from like 180th Street uh-huh. to 54th Street. Right. Right. So if you were going south and you looked right, all you saw was a big pun. And would you really feel like the temperature
1: change in terms of artists after campaigns like that? Like, Because, you know, New York City is such a bubble that you can imagine that having everybody driving down the West Side Highway one day seeing this shit that that could really actually, like, make something change in terms of that people, artist's trajectory? I
0: mean, I think, sorry for cutting you off, I think people were saying, like, who the fuck is he and what is that? Right. But, again, you know, with the posters and the stickers, you know, when they started covering stop signs, you know, it was just like, mm. and the fines came, and this, that, and so on and so on. Um, you know, to me, I was like, nah, let's, you know, I want the record in the right hands with the guy's, And it would not necessarily be a radio DJ. It could be a club DJ. It could be a mobile DJ. Just somebody that has an audience and somebody that knows how to attack their audience. Mm. And that's really what, to me, the grassroots promotion was supposed to be.
1: Yeah, definitely. So when you are, you know, working an artist, do you you stick your head into dealing with the, you know, getting girls to dance to the record on TikTok? Is that something that you? That's
0: my nephew and my son are doing. No, I'm not doing it. I'm saying, all right, we got to find the brand, and um, we're gonna we're gonna just blanket. If you're from, we have an artist called Bird Bennett, okay. right? Um, and he's from Portland. Uh, I want to own the Northwest. Okay. So, let's own the Northwest, and then all that digital shit could come after after the fact. Mm. But, you know. So that's my argument with my nephew and my son all day. So if you were to sign a,
1: a New York City rapper right now, you would go in trying to make him pop in New York City specifically to start and then branch out from there? You still think that
0: that's an important step? I think you have to own the streets. If, you, if you're going to be in the hip-hop game, you still have to own the streets. So if you look really what Quality Control's doing, right, they still own the streets. And whatever digital stuff they're doing with it, is just to me, that's the gravy. Right. But, you know, the Migos wouldn't be who they were if they didn't have a real street presence. Right. Especially down south. Hmm. Does it occur to
1: you at times, though, that it's, it seems way easier to make a street artist pop off? There's just like an inherent. Desire to see what these guys are talking about when you're talking about like a pooh shiesty or somebody yeah, along those I mean, lines.
0: Yeah, it's one press of a button, right. but but I don't know if you're getting a real audience. That, that, you know, so that that's what I, that's what I'm fighting with mm. is how to. Do, you don't have as much
1: faith in that audience. That sort of. Comes I'm, I'm along not, with that? No,
0: I'm not saying I don't have faith. I'm just saying, how real is it? Is this guy going to be able to make records twenty years from now? Is so he going to have a loyal following? You know, right. So that, you know, so that, that's what I mean by owning where you come from or your, or your foundation or your base. Right.
1: Do you still feel like you gravitate more towards that sort of like hardcore street type stuff or like stuff that is in that real, real rap category? Or do you feel comfortable working in other fields at this point? Or is it, does it still feel kind of foreign?
0: You know, no, it, it's, it doesn't feel foreign. It's a great question. So when I left Loud... Right, I sold to Sony. I had to work for a company that I started. Okay, and what year are we talking again? Just I sold Loud in '99, and then okay. I had a three-year deal where I had to go work for Sony for three right. years.
1: Which is weird because to a lot of the young kids, Loud as a brand name might not mean as much to them. But in that time period,
0: this was omnipresent. Yeah. So I mean, it was really, you know, there were three labels. Really, it was us, Bad Boy. Um, Def Jam was a major by that time. Right. And, um, and Death Row. Oh. Rockefeller was just starting. Right. So when, um, but I worked for a company and right. So I had the woo mob pun pass, but pun MOP dead press exhibit licks, three, six mafia, all street orientated artists. Mm. When I left, I went over to Universal, started SRC Records. That was supposed to be called, and that stood for Street Records Corporation. Mm. And I thought it was gonna be like loud 2.0 on steroids. But what did I come with? I came with Akon. Mm. I came with Asher Roth. I came with a woman by the name of Melanie Fiona. I came with another woman by the name of Chantel who had two top five pop records, David Banner. You know, so, um, and Universal was radio-driven. So, I had to change my philosophy. Mm. I still wanted to own the streets, but I had to change my philosophy about what type of records I was going to put out. Right. Did that feel like you were compromising
1: your vision, or did it feel like this is just survival in terms uh, of? Like, it, was,
0: I, it wasn't about compromising my, uh, provision. I mean, my vision. It was, to me, it was about survival if I wanted to have success. Mm. Um, you know, I'm going to have to play by that way. Right. And, We went on a run that was just as big as loud. I mean, Akon was the biggest artist in the world.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's important, too. Like, you know, even with the Asher Roth thing, obviously, he didn't really become what I think a lot of people probably thought that he could have at a certain Mm -hmm. point. But, I mean, with Akon, with Asher Roth, I mean, that's kind of indicative of the changing face of hip-hop. That in the lead-up to that, that probably didn't seem terribly obvious that there was going to be so many different types of rap stars since, you know, throughout the 90s
0: it was pretty consistent, like one type of rapper over and over. Yep. Um, yeah, and then, you know, the internet was coming, ringtones was coming, um, iTunes just came in, right, I think iTunes came in like 2000, 2001.
1: Right. So long before it became standard.
0: Yeah. Um, so yeah. we started SRC in 2002, and, you know, I remember getting a phone call from from somebody who I'd never even heard of at Universal. And he says, you have the number one ringtone record. Mm. And I'm like, what the fuck does that even mean? And what is a ringtone? <laughs> right. But you know what? It saved, we made a lot of money with those ringtones. Definitely. And it's just
1: that's what's so interesting about the, the music business is that there will be this income stream for a period of time, and then it just sort of withers away, and then there's another flow that it goes into. But when you think back to, you know, like when, when did it really feel like the music industry might be totally
0: fucked? Was there a period there where you were like, "Wow, maybe nobody's going to be making any more money from this"? So song? when we came with um, Akon's second album, right? If that was in the '90s, that album would have done 30 million records, right? Album sold, scan cross the board, everything else like that. I think in 2000, I think we ended. I think we peaked at eight million. Uh huh. um, and that felt like a letdown. As big as those records were I mean it was I mean it was crazy mm-hmm. As big as those Singles were <clears throat> If this was the ni- if this was 95, 96 30 million ninety five, ninety six, thirty million, thirty million would be one of the biggest Albums of all time, mm-hmm. no questions asked
1: Right, but instead what do, you, what do you blame, like the piracy, the copyright Or the, or the online sales, or probably a little bit Of everything?
0: I don't know what I blame To be honest with you, I think Um Retail was going down, and I think people were missing going to retail too. I, but I, I really don't know. And it, would be, it was becoming a single-driven business, so the ringtones, like eight million. I mean, shit, that was still eighty million dollars in billing alone. Right? You know, just like that. So, but with the ringtones, you know. But if we did, th- say, we did fifteen million, not thirty million. Uh-huh. You're talking about 150 million in billing. Right. Right. So maybe we topped out at 90 with all the ringtones. And everything like that, so it's, um. and it was a single, dri- and it started turning back into a single-driven business. In the 90s, it was all about albums. Right. How do you feel about albums now? There's no more. I mean, the deals I'm doing with everybody now is just all about delivering me 20 singles. Really? Interesting.
1: I had uh, Hobson on here the other day, you know, he, he kills it on YouTube with his singles. He does a YouTube yeah. video, got 20, 10 million views, whatever. I, uh, last time I interviewed him three, four years ago he said he wasn't sure if he was ever going to put an album out again I just interviewed him again still no album since 2017 he just doesn't even see any reason for him to do it anymore
0: no, he's probably making a fortune too yeah
1: but does that okay, so when you say 20 single deal
0: so there's, you there's, got you gotta deliver 20 masters not, not all gonna be singles and then we'll pick what we just want to put out okay so, you're com- because that,
1: the- but that feels kind of contradictory to what you said about like when you get an artist that you're concerned about where their career is going to be at in 20 years. But the nature of the business now is that there's tons of artists who have like a six month career and there's probably plenty of money for you to make off of those artists, right? Yeah,
0: but I, I, I mean, the raster that we're, we're picking, I just, I can't, it, my gut and my soul won't let me do just a one hit wonder type of thing. Right. I'll never pick up a novelty record in my life. Really? Is it just a matter of of pride? No, it has nothing to do with pride. It, it will be, you know at the at the end of the day, you're going to be spending the same amount of money. Mm. So might as well spend the you know the money on somebody that's going to have a follow up. Right.
1: Interesting. But I mean, there's viral records that just make shitloads of money,
0: right? There are, but that's something that I'll just let it go. Right over me.
1: But that kind of all comes back to, like, why you're doing this in the first place, right? Do you feel like you're doing this for money? Do you feel like you're—you know, I'm sure you're far past the point of, like, really needing another another mill, right?
0: Um, I'm doing it to be in business with my nephew and my son. Really? I mean, I don't have to work anymore. Right. Why were you doing it when you started? My family was in the music business. Right. Um— so course, I was major. A lot of kids reject what their dad does. I didn't have a choice, really. Um, <laughs> really? I was majorly dyslexic. I didn't know how to read or write until I was 14 years old. Right. So um, I was getting in a lot of trouble. And um, my grandfather called me down to um, Florida, where all Jews go when they retire. So I hear. I heard that in Seinfeld. Yeah, they taught me about that. Um, and my grandfather said, You could end up dead or in jail. You got you to get your shit together. Right. And um, he goes, why don't you go work for your father? I said, my father's not going to want anything to do with me. Right. He goes, I'll call him. So they sent me on the road. Now I'm 18. This is 1980. Right. Spring of 1980. And um, they decided they're going to send me on the road for two weeks. And two weeks ended up being three and a half years. Mm-hmm. I just zigzagged across the country Visiting radio stations Then I would find myself back at colleges mm-hmm. And um And that's how I ended up putting the street team
1: together Right To a lot of people that would sound like a uh, Not fun way of life Just being on the road 24-7 And did you just fall in line With it right away and did it seem like a I, compromise I, In any way um, Or were you just excited to
0: be No I, I wasn't excited I enjoyed of uh, not looking over my shoulder, like Are the cops going to come, you know, this, that, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I enjoyed end up going back to the colleges and just, you know, talking music, talking sports and, you know, you know, whatever current events was really going on. Right. But I zigzagged this country four different times. Right. And at that time? There was no GPS. There was no cell phones. I would be in the car with $20 worth of quarters. What was your ambition at that time? I had, My ambition was to live. Did you Let, think that you could do very well for yourself at that time from this I, work? I, I wasn't even thinking about that. Mm. I, I wasn't even thinking about that. It's easy, yeah, because once
1: you've made it, people start assuming that you had a plan all along.
0: I mean, I was 18, so I, I mean... I grew up okay. It's not like, you know, when I was getting in trouble, I wasn't doing it because I needed to. Mm -hmm. I was doing it just to get attention.
1: Mm -hmm. Definitely. Did your dad, like, what was his viewpoint on you dealing with all these rappers?
0: My dad put out the first rap record of all time. Okay. Um, My dad gave
1: Russell Simmons his first record deal. Right. But did he see it as, you know, non-musical? To a certain extent, or did he respect it?
0: We never had the conversation. Really, he, um, knowing my dad, he probably respected it because it was some form of art, right. and he was all about the art. My dad, you know, was one of the guys that discovered James Brown.
1: So, right. But I'm saying, like, if I was intrinsically involved in James Brown's career, and then hip hop comes along, I mean, I wouldn't blame somebody for not really being able to make the switch.
0: You want to blame somebody? I
1: wouldn't be able to blame somebody for maybe like, you know, if you grew up on James Brown and you don't mm. really get hip hop, you know, I, I would do that. I, I understand. So a, nah, The era has changed. Yeah. So, But
0: <laughs> I think he just looked at it as art. Right. That's, that's all it was. Definitely.
1: When. So when did you start to realize that you really had aptitude for what you were doing and that you, you had a special talent for it?
0: I never considered myself an A&R guy. I always just considered myself a promotion and marketing guy. Uh-huh. I mean i feel i had the best a in our staff in the business um but i never said to myself oh wow you know this is what it is to me it was just like where's the record how are we going to get this record to the you know and cross that finish line Mm. that's all i give a fuck about
1: it's interesting because like now it feels like you know people who get into working in music or art they they tend to make it out as if this was their passion this was like the only thing that they could do because it speaks to their soul. It's funny hearing you talk about it like it's this sort of like it was a trade at that time where it was just you found yourself doing it and I loved it. You adapted well to it and but it, was was there something about it where it was just so obvious to you that this was something that you loved above everything else that
0: you could possibly be working in? Um, no. I mean, and I realized I wasn't become a professional basketball player, so I mean, um, <laughs> no. Nah, I mean, I just. I, I was cool. Mm-hmm. Like, let's, you know, I enjoyed being on the road. I enjoyed that freedom. Had a lot of soul searching, you know, six hour drives by yourself, you mm-hmm. know, with no cell phone. It's a crazy era to look back on.
1: Yeah. We don't really ever get that anymore. It used to be like the flight was the time when you weren't on your phone, which is kind of sad because you like probably on fl- only on a flight every couple of weeks or so for the, you know, even if you're flying a lot. But Yeah. That uh, I don't know. So so, do, I'm trying to get to when is there a moment where you sort of realize like, oh, I'm gonna be able to make like a massive life changing amount
0: of money from this. That so this is gonna fundamentally. I when I, I, it's funny that you said when I sold the first fifty percent of my company, right? November third, nineteen ninety six, and maybe had close to a hundred thousand dollars in the bank. A lot of money, right? You're young too. November seventh, nineteen ninety six, I had north of ten. Wow. Right? And um, I woke up on November 8th. No, November 7th. We signed the deal on November 6th. And it was a Friday. And I went to my wife at the time. I was like, I don't feel different. Right. And, you know, she kicked me in the ass and said, get back to, get to the office and get to work. Mm. Um, But, you know, I, like I said, to me, you, you know, I've never had a problem with any of my artists regarding money really i won't fight over money
1: because i heard you talking about letting artists go quite frequently when they're just not happy anymore like you just don't hold on to their contract and hang it over there i head. never
0: let an artist go though nobody ever wanted to leave right twister yeah we didn't have great success so it's like and we started blowing and it was just you know Yeah, I guess he did. That's just the
1: one that I remember from the interview. You're saying that he kind of moved along and you just let him go, which is not normally how record execs talk. Yeah,
0: so, but, I mean, to this day, me and Twister are still cool. Like,
1: there was never a fight about it. If you had made it, you know, a multi-year hellish process
0: for him, you probably wouldn't be cool now. Yeah, but then, I mean, I wouldn't be able to live with myself that way. I mean, Mm. so, because my thing was, I would get in BMG's ass, like, you guys got to pay me. Mm. But when it came to the artist, the artist, you know, and this is what I would always try and tell BMG. I mean, I got arrested for throwing a chair at an executive because they wouldn't give wu an extra $20,000 $20, on Raekwon's first album. And um, the, the, the point is, if you don't have artists, And you don't have happy artists. You don't have a business. Mm. If you're going to put out music. So that's, you know, you need to do right by the artist. So they could do right by you and then you could do whatever you have to do with your company. Mm. And if you're going to be in the music business and have a record company, you need them to deliver records. Right.
1: When you find an artist nowadays that you're looking at and you're excited about them how you know there's there has to have been artists over the years that you found where you felt like a hundred percent sure they were going to be a superstar and then there's got to be times where you got an artist where you were like there's a smaller chance 10 20 30 chance that i think this person could be huge like how would you describe your confidence when you're looking at an artist? And how much of it is at, what you believe you can do for them versus
0: just who they are? At, at Loud, whatever we signed, I, I was confident. Mm-hmm. I mean, I signed pun without hearing one ounce of music. Really, Joe could tell you the story. My head of A&R, sh- who would never be in the office, showed up in the office for the meeting. I'm like, what are you doing here? And he, Maddie was like, I'm here for the meeting for Pun." The second they walked in, I'm like, who's your lawyer? Mm -hmm. And the deal literally got done within 24 hours. And and Maddie's like, have we got a sign without hearing music? I'm like, that's your job to do now. Mm -hmm. You're here for this meeting. Right. So my thinking from my dyslexia is probably a little bit off. Mm -hmm. And I don't think most people would have done that.
1: You don't think that you hearing a couple songs would have been additional information?
0: I mean, I mean... No, because I I trusted you so much. Right. For you to be here for this meeting, this guy's a superstar. Because you're the most stuck-up, like, (laughs) hip-hop person you'll ever meet in your life. Right. I mean, he started the Unsigned Hype at the Source Magazine.
1: Yeah. Which was the biggest thing in the world for a while. That is funny, because there will be artists sometimes where, you know, a certain person will tell me to interview them. And it's like, I I feel the same way. I was like, okay. Like, if you said it, then... I know it's and, and you know certain people are very vested in their self interest and other people aren't, mm-hmm. but you know when when somebody tells sometimes it's like oh, I guess I don't have to hear it I'll, I'll hear it but it's like I don't have to hear it immediately because if you said they were worth interviewing they're probably worth interviewing yeah I mean that's why you have a staff right mm-hmm. so and that's why you have friends and you know it's you can read the tea leaves you know? yeah you don't need sometimes you don't need to hear the song but okay to this day though one of your Staff members comes and tells you there's an artist they want to sign. Like, how, how, how good of an ear? Like, there's a lot of talk of the ear in the music industry. Do you have massive confidence in your ear? Not anymore, really.
0: I mean, I rely on people that I trust. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm, I'm close to 60. I mean, but you I, wouldn't want me to have a good
1: ear right this second. If I play you 20 Brooklyn rappers, you don't think you could tell me the best one? I could tell you the one I like the best. Right. You got 20 on you? I could probably scrounge up twenty. Right. They're probably all going to suck for the most part. But, uh, <laughs> the good ones are probably already signed these days. But uh, that's interesting because I feel like I could I could usually pick out
0: the the. I mean, you it, if you're going to come with some New York shit, right? Right. The dr- to me, it's all about the drum then and the kick, like, and the record has to be aggressive. I don't want to mm-hmm. hear any of that laid back. This, you know, mm. I want to hear any up. I want to hear hip hop. I want to hear Protect Your Net. Mm. I want to hear Shook Ones. Right.
1: Yeah, same here. But people are always trying to convince me I should like some soft shit. And I'm just, sometimes
0: it's hard I mean, you to gotta, explain. Uh, I, I just, I don't think I can judge that. I mean, you could like whatever the fuck you want to like. Mm. And then if you have to sign something, you, you know, you got to trust your staff.
1: If you play me 20 R&B rappers or R&B singers, I feel like I would, I would probably make the wrong decision about who the superstar is. Because that's just not really. So you wouldn't go by the voice. You would go by the song? I would probably go by someone on my staff. I probably want to ask somebody else
0: before I made that decision myself, yeah. Um Yeah, I mean, we had a girl by the name of Melanie Fiona mm-hmm. at SRC. Okay. The voice was incredible and she had a ballad called it was it kills me. Mm-hmm. And um I was really impressed by her manager. And her her manager was just Dope Like had a plan Had everything But I was like You know I just signed four girls Like Mm. I'm gonna sign another woman You know And um But I was just I loved the record And I was just really So impressed With Carmen On how she handled her business and, and, And the plan So I was like You know I was I didn't know what to do But you know then one of my A&R people who was a female, like, she's giving me a look like, if you don't sign it, I'm going to stab you.
1: Mm.
0: And, um, and then, I, you know, I offered them a deal. I was like, you know what? I had 20 rappers at one time. So if I have five females, I have five female. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what? thank God I did sign it. You know, the record ends up being number one. And, you know, we didn't hit gold, but we were close to gold. Mm. Interesting. Have there been a, a lot
1: of times where are there artists that you look back on that you signed where you can like identify a, a critical moment where things just started to not work out? I guess I'm like more intrigued by the artists that you had a lot of faith in that didn't work out. Rather, you have so many success stories. Mm. That's kind of like the easy so, thing. Dead Press. Mm. Um, there was a moment where I felt like that was going to be the next Public Enemy, huh?
0: Yeah, I mean, they could have been if 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 they trust is a really strong word, but if they understood, I'm not even going to say trust, right? If they understood where we were coming from as a label, right, they would have been PE. Mm. It's hard to... And, and they were young. at with now, now we're like this. Right. Like M1 comes to LA you know, every other month and he's at the house and we're just, and we're, and we're just kicking it. If we had that relationship then as we do now, they might have been the biggest group at loud.
1: They saw you as kind of... Advers- they wanted to have an adversarial relationship or...
0: I think they were just young, you know, and it was like... And I was white. Right. And, um, you know, they were so, you know, set in their ways and everything and just... um, But, you know, we all, you know, they grew up... I didn't take it as personal. That's
1: why you only want to sign capitalist rappers. No, I just, once they have a little anarchist streak in them,
0: I don't know. No, (laughs) I I, I mean, I just, you know, I just want to sign rappers that are going to make good music and that are going to be here 10 to 20 years from now. Right. That one
1: dead press song that everybody knows. Hip hop? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's probably my favorite record of all time. Were you massively involved in like marketing that? And was that like the moment where it seemed like everything was going well? I'll tell
0: you where I heard the record. We just moved for the first time. We just moved into our brand new office. We had a whole floor. I had my own private bathroom and I'm in the bathroom. Uh-huh. It, you know, setting it up. We just moved and my A and R guys so if you look at it like it was a U shape, you know, but we had the whole floor. I was in the corner, so I had my marketing team to my right and promotion team and my A and R team to my left. Uh-huh. And I was cleaning putting stuff in I never had my own private bathroom before, you know. And Sean C started playing the record. I guess his office was right next to wherever the bathroom was. And um and I remember just running I'm like, What the fuck is this? Uh huh. And he goes, It's dead prez. And I was like, When are we dr-? you know, and it was just like and it took a minute for us to put out the record. But if if we dropped the record when I wanted to drop the record, which was if I heard the record at, at twelve o'clock, I wanted that record out that night. Right. Um, but it took another like four or five months. and to, uh, I think the office lost momentum, mm. as great as that record was, everything else like that, and just timing is everything. I mean, I was ready to go to hot '97 and give it to Flex that night. Right.
1: That, but that song was huge. CA: But you the, the up a little? I,
0: I think inside the office, right. I think, you know, people were getting, you know, not fed up with them, but it was just like, oh, here they go with, you know, w- whatever they, you know, they were saying. Right. I guess it was probably like huge on more of like an indie type level, right? It wasn't like... No, nah, that record should have been like, as big as that record was, that record should have been five times bigger than it was. Six right. times bigger than it was. Mm. Interesting.
1: Um, okay, so... Going back to like why you feel like, you, well, actually that moment when you said that you went from half a million to 10 million in the course of a couple of days, mm-hmm. you know, did that cause you to sort of, you know, reflect back on why you were doing this in the first place or there like you saying that your wife told you just get back to work. I mean, that, that's interesting because I mean, I feel like a lot of wives would be kind of like, we made it. Let's get in the yacht. Nah, she said, get back to work. Right. But you never considered sort of uh, That your life maybe should change From all of a sudden getting that amount of money You know like I think we all kind of think about that From time to time If you were to get that life changing amount of money How much would your
0: life change really I don't know if my life changed You know what I did when I woke up It was, uh, it was raining I called up my lawyer who was my cousin mm-hmm. was One of my lawyers I said come on I'm going to buy you a cell phone Not everybody had cell phones in those days Right And I spent $200 on a cell phone. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't
1: try to like become the giant iced-out chain guy for a little while or anything? Nah. Just never really seemed
0: appealing? I tried it once, and I returned everything that I bought. Really? Yeah. I mean, it was... I bought a grill. No, nah, I didn't you have a grill. You can't return that. Um, the only thing I kept was a dog tag, a diamond dog tag with my kids' names in the, oh, nice. in the, in the back, Right.
1: So you don't have any expensive habits going, or you just haven't managed to pick any up
0: yet? Uh, no, I, I mean, back in the day, I had real expensive. I mean, I had planes, I had cars, I had you know, right, I had everything. But most of that's fallen by the wayside. I just, you get older,
1: right, and smarter. <laughs> 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 yeah, but if you really have money, like, you know, you see people take it to a logical extreme where all of a sudden you're Jay Leno and you got a fucking warehouse full of cars
0: or whatever. I was them into cars, though, so that, so that was the whole thing. To me, it was really about the plane. Mm. The private plane.
1: Yeah. But w- was that really more of a convenience thing?
0: No, but, that was an ego thing. Right. That was just a straight ego thing. Mm. But you, at what point did you decide to get rid of that? When I got the boss?
1: Okay. Mm. Probably a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of things made sense at that point. <laughs> I hear you. Um, okay, so. When you talk about, you know, working on this kind of stuff with, with your kids and everything, like, like what is your thought process on that now? Is it, do you feel lucky to just even be in the position to be able to maintain? A lot of people, you know, they, they I can't mean, even think of having a relationship with their kids into their 20s or 30s, Well, this, right?
0: this is the thing. I feel lucky that I'm alive, right? Mm-hmm. I had a massive heart attack seven years ago. I died three times. So I'm just happy I'm here. Wow, oh, I didn't know that. Um, and I have, besides Coop, who's my nephew, and my son... You know, my youngest son is signed to us, and my daughter, even though she's still in school, um, she's helping Coop a lot on the um, marketing side of things. Mm. It's interesting because
1: it feels like that's the kind of stuff that it's probably not that hard to convince your kids to be into. Mm No, I mean,
0: I just offered her a million dollars to go to law school, and she said no. Really?
1: Yeah. You didn't want her to stay in this, this business?
0: No, I want her to go to law school. She said, I want to be rich, and I don't want to rely on my husband. Uh-huh. I said, go to law school. She says, I'm not going to law school. I said, I'll give you a million dollars. She said, no.
1: And she wants to work for you. Yeah. What is it about law school that you think would just give her a better life?
0: Um, I don't know if it will give her a better life. I think she would just learn, I mean, just what her DNA is. She's really structured. And not necessarily to be a lawyer. She'll learn about contracts. She'll learn about negotiations. She'll learn about dealing with people. She'd probably be more useful to you as a lawyer than as a music I mean, industry person, right? Um, if she was a lawyer, I think she would probably have the biggest practice in the business. Really? Yeah. Well,
1: I think about that sometimes. Like, how the hell am I going to convince my kid to go to school and try to become a doctor or a lawyer or whatever? And, yeah, and
0: I didn't go to school. And I, you're right. I didn't go to school. So they look at me like... Before Rise, if, like, if they have a, like, you know, how to spell Apple, I'm just, you know what I'm saying? Right. They're not going to call me. They're going to call their mom. Right.
1: Yeah, because, like, you, you, you live your life where you take all these risks, and then you look at your kid, and you're like, I want you to have this nice, steady, safe
0: life that I didn't really have in me. So, um... No, I would love them not to have a safe... I mean, I want them to be safe, but, like, I would like to, you know... Let there be some bumps in the road for them so that they can learn and learn from their mistakes. I mean, I'm not going to let them drown. (laughs) I'm not going to let anybody drown that's around me. Right. But, you know,
1: it's interesting because you think that like a lot of people, a lot of people build a business and then it just becomes, I think, you've seen Succession? Yeah. Where your kids are just not capable of running this business and it ends up being a massive, you know, problem to put your kids in charge of this business because just because they're related to you, there's no reason to believe that they would be good at this particular job, but your kids just sort of flock to it.
0: Nah, so, so we, 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 we could start with Coop, who's, who's my nephew, who's right there. I don't know if you guys see him. Right. Um, he was always just an art, you know, an art, you know, just an artist and just always into music mm-hmm. and always entrepreneur, had his own cleaning service in, in school, so on and so on. Alex, my oldest son, um, was a college basketball player. Mm-hmm. So he's pretty disciplined. Right. Like, you know, and just training, you know, just, you know, however he got to that level. My daughter, I don't know where she came from. I mean, like, I mean, she's, she doesn't play. She's like, boom, 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 boom. And I guess, you know, so I'm hoping it's the best of her mom and the best of me, like in one. And then her twin brother who signed to the label is me. Right. Has my temper, has my emotions, has my passion. um, And he just figures shit out on his own and without telling anybody. And he just does it. Hmm. And it works. Is that weird? To be around him, given
1: that he reminds you of yourself so much?
0: Yeah, so we go at it because, I, you know, the mistakes that I made. Um, I try and, you know, have those conversations with him. But but that's me. He, like, he -hmm. didn't, you know.
1: Youth is wasted on the young.
0: But, again, he's doing things now. Like, he has a record that's starting to pop now and he's doing it all on his own even though he signed to us.
1: Mm.
0: That's how it is these days often. Mm.
1: Does that freak you out a little when you see how big records can become without the label or
0: any help these days? Well, I think that's why we're going to win because I've never needed a label. Mm. Even though I was a label, I never needed the major to take me to the promised land. Right It's like when I played In Akon for the first time They laughed in my face I said this will be The biggest artist In my career Really And they all laughed And I pretty much said Fuck you I'll see you In a year and a half Uh huh And my head of promotion I said His wife was pregnant I said you do the east coast I'll do the west coast Uh huh And if she gets pregnant You have five days To take care of whatever you need I mean when she gets When she gives birth, You have a five day Break period And it's funny You know he took Khan And I took Akon's brother mm mm-hmm. And don't forget there was no videos. We didn't we didn't make a video at that time, so nobody knew what Acon looked like. Right. So out in Utah, Akon's brother was Akon. Uh huh. You, you were really pulling this off. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, on the radio? Uh, on the radio shows, like You would have him doing shows. Yeah, and I mean he would be lip syncing and um just we did what we had to do.
1: That's incredible. I've thought about that before. So like, you know, especially the rappers mm-hmm. who are mass. I'm like, you could totally have a couple of these guys on the road at once.
0: Well, nobody knew what Akon looked like at the right. time
1: because we didn't have a video. Yeah.
0: Wow. So when
1: you say, like, I'll take the West Coast with an artist, it's like, th- there's basically like two ways of doing what you guys do, right? Where you could have you just dedicating every second of your day to bringing this artist to different different labels, bringing them to to you know promotional opportunities, radio stations, et cetera. And then there's the thing that you have now where you have an actual company and you try to actually take these roles and put them in, in various people's hands so that they can help grow this thing. With the Acon thing that you're talking about, though, were you was it just full-court press mode of you just bringing I mean, him everywhere you could and doing everything you could?
0: Again, somebody said to me, they laughed in my face. I don't, like, I don't take Noel and I don't like to lose. So I was like, all right, motherfuckers, I'll show you. <laughs> Who in this room has sold more records than me anyway? Right, Including the chairman. So I was like, all right, fuck you. Mm-hmm. And we literally... And they gave us office there. I said, nobody even go in there anymore. Right. Until this fucking record breaks.
1: Mm-hmm. And so how satisfactory
0: was that when it actually happened? Um, Ego-wise, I mean, it was, it was amazing. Right. But, you know, we still had a lot of work to do. Right. Well, there's always a lot of work to do in yeah. this business, huh? Damn.
1: That's crazy. Do, do you miss that period of having to do so much stuff in real life. I've been thinking about this a lot. Cause like post COVID it's like, Oh, now we get to all be around
0: each other a lot more.
1: I had really gotten used to not being around anybody. Now I got
0: to get my mind back in that place. Um, that's a great question. I don't know how I feel right. Right. this second mm. I'm not rushing to get an office. I'm not rushing to get in an office yet. Um, you know, what I did learn during the whole COVID thing is I'd rather be slow and smart than fast and stupid. Mm. You felt like you were doing too much before? Yeah. I mean, I was just like, the, because, you know, what I realized is the pace that I keep, the pace that I go at, not that many people could keep up with that pace anyway. Right. So that's, um, that's how I'm looking at it.
1: When you say that pace, do you think of it more of like just the amount of Hours of work that you're putting in, and every day, or are you kind of putting work on employees who maybe aren't able to fully like ex take care of it the way no, that you want I'm, them to? I'm
0: talking about executing what needs to be executed, right? It's all about execution, right? Mm. So you could have the best idea in the world, but if you don't execute it, what do you have? Right, nothing. Do you um
1: I, like? Do you pay a lot of attention to balance in your life at this point? Are you a person who's kind of at risk of overworking themselves and just going too hard to the point where it's kind of
0: ridiculous I mean I, we had the b e t awards we had this this weekend, so you know I was managing X when he passed mm-hmm. so this weekend was a lot it was a lot of rehearsals and we closed the show so like I didn't drive here like I was going to drive here mm-hmm. and I was like, you know what I had a meeting, had a lunch. I was like, you know, I'm going to Uber, and I'm going to take a 30-minute nap on my way from the house to here. Right. And it
1: worked to perfection. That's your idea of balance, is a 30-minute 30, 30 nap on the Uber? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 that kind of says a lot.
0: <laughs> I, I put, you know, listen to some music, didn't pick up a call, right. returned one text, and that was it. Is your phone just exploding at all times? Um, Not 24-7, but... There's hours of the day that I just want to throw the phone in the pool. Right. And let me come back a few hours after that and just.
1: Yeah. I feel like I've set a really good precedent by just like kind of not picking up the phone. And sometimes I see my friends who pick up the phone to anyone who wants to talk to them.
0: And I'm like, you're never going to be able to get anything done if you live like this. Yeah. So that's my issue. It's like I got to pick up every call that I see. Hmm.
1: Yeah, a lot of the most successful people I know are like that. They just really are that attentive to every relationship. It's all about the relationships. Mm. No matter what business you're in. It is. But you have to stay on top of them. That's the thing I have a real hard time with. I can like spark the relationship off, but then the maintenance required is... That's it's not really a relationship. You're yeah. just trying to get it back. <laughs> <laughs> or do a podcast. <laughs> yeah, there's some truth to that. So you're in the office at what, what... What time you wake up and what time are you in the office? I wake so up at be? 5. Okay. And, and you're man. in the office by... Well, I,
0: haven't, I don't have an office anymore. Oh, okay. You're working okay. from home strictly right now? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I wake up at 5. I start my meditation at 5.15 to 5.35. Okay. I read the papers. Um... A literal newspaper, or you read it on your phone? No, I read it on my iPad. But it's but the papers. Got it. Um That goes around six fifteen, and then I walk the dogs for forty five minutes. Mm-hmm. Come back, I do another meditation for twenty minutes. You're answering emails and texting while you're walking the dogs, or is that? No, nope, I don't even bring my phone with me. Okay. Um, it's just me talking to the dogs, mm. and then um, get back around seven forty five. Um. and I'll just I don't know what I'll do mm-hmm. you know um, I'll look at some emails but I won't return emails yet mm-hmm. I'll just look at them maybe start writing some notes and I won't stop my day until really 9, 9.30 I won't pick up the phone before that Okay.
1: and do you feel like you have lost much by not having the office uh, physically together or do you feel like that was kind of overrated and you can only see that now I can
0: only see that now. Mm -hmm. Um, So before COVID, I would be in the office at 7, 7.30. Mm
1: -hmm. Before almost everybody else, I'm assuming?
0: I would be there, yeah, way before everybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I'd go to around, I'd go 7 to 7. And then, um, but now it's just. You think you're happier now? That's a good question. I don't know if I'm happier now, but I'm more at peace. I think mm-hmm. not spending 12 hours in the office is probably good for your mental health. But I'm still spending 12 hours working. Yeah, but Well, I'm not spending 12 hours working anymore because I really won't start my day now until night. Right. So to me, it used to be I used to make a call sheet. I still make a call sheet, but if I didn't have 150 calls that I made that day, I thought I was doing something wrong. Hmm. So those are like important
1: elements of the I didn't the even business. know if they
0: were important. Like you talk about maintaining a relationship, right? Right. So say we met. All of a sudden, if you're on my call sheet, I'm calling you every day now. Like, okay. you, you know, and I don't talk on the phone long. I can't talk on the phone long. Right. Right. So it's like, check in, you good yet? Hang up. And I would cross it off. Interesting.
1: Call sheet. I never even thought about that. I'm like, these are the people that you're going to actually go out
0: of your way to stay in touch with. Interesting. Know if you make ten calls a day, just ten. That ten is going to turn into twenty, and things are going to start happening.
1: Mm. Interesting. Um, how important do you think it is to go out, clubs, album releases, events, shit like that? How, how much you... for me now? Yeah,
0: zero. Close to none or none. <laughs> none. Okay. I mean, but if you, but you know. If Coop and my son are not going, then that's a problem.
1: Mm. So you think that's very much necessary for people in their 30s They, they need to be
0: seen, not necessary to you know. You know, there's a saying that my father: "It's not who you, it's not what you know, it's who you know." Mm. So, them meeting people and them getting, you never know where that person's going to end up. Mm-hmm. That person could be head of Apple music one day. That person could be head of Sony Music one day. Or he could be, you know, head of, you know, head of Spotify or just, you know, whatever. You never know where, where they're going to end up. You mm-hmm. never know where you're going to end up either. Right. And and what you're going to need. So it's even like you know, if you're in the A&R department and you pass on, on somebody pass in a nice way because you know what, that somebody that you passed on might have a neighbor that could be the next Drake. And even though he's not working with Drake, he says, "Hey, you guys could go. You should check this out." So you never know where these relationships end up. Right. So that's why I'll return every call and pick up every call that that I see. Mm. Definitely, that makes sense. You have a
1: bunch of artists in your head that you like. Wish that you didn't miss early on.
0: I mean, I, I wish I let. I wish BMG let me sign Rockefeller. Oh wow. Um. And then with them, you know, he was brought to us first, but he was an underground rapper, and I mm. think it was just a perfect storm with him and Dre. I don't know; he would have still been Eminem, but I don't know if he would have sold three hundred million records mm. at loud. Right. Just how he was built and how my A and R staff was built mm. It would have been an amazing relationship, and he could have sold you know maybe ten million records, right. but not who he was. That Dr. Dre association really. I mean, that was just a perfect
1: marriage. Yeah. He, in, uh, I mean, compare that to Vanilla Ice. Vanilla Ice had no co Vanilla Ice didn't have Dr. Dre. But if Vanilla Ice had had, you know, even not Dr. Dre, but a Dr. Dre, somebody even close to be yeah. their figure guiding them into the game, it could have been a lot different. Because I, I read this article about how Vanilla Ice was very much respected and appreciated in his local scene before he came out and then there was this SNL skit that just lampooned him and that was just kind of changed his whole image after that. And
0: then the movie. Also hurt him. Which was it? I forget the name of it, but he put the he did a movie pretty much. What was it?
1: Cool as Ice. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, he's still out here doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to him. Um okay, so in terms of uh like, how many artists would you say that you guys are working on at this point? Well, you got five. Five. That's it.
0: And you don't want more than that? No. We're going to put out a single a week. Mm. By a brand new artist every week. 52 artists. Right.
1: Is it... I mean, you put out a single per week, but do you feel like that's enough these days? Or like, what what has to surround each single to make it an event, Right.
0: No, we're not even going to make it at events, right? So at the end of the day, some of the biggest artists in my career started off as single deals. Wu-Tang started off as a single deal. Akon started off as a single deal. Three-six started off as a single deal. So if we put out 52 singles by 52 different artists, Mm -hmm. and forget about music wise, just 52. Right. Three are going to pop if I do something, if I don't do anything. Okay. Just on straight numbers. So that's you know and with taking and with taking care of the creative community mm. for
1: sure how do you see uh the media at this point in the business that you're in you know it's like it's changed so much where I went from you know having a couple of authoritative sources that were sort of you know the must read uh content for everybody in the game now it's so spread out but there's still, you know, I guess you could argue that there are like authoritative sources at this point. There's, there's, you know, the big ones that everybody's sort of familiar with and everything. But how much do you see, you know, um, finesse in the media or having relationships with media? Like, how much does this matter in terms of pushing artists these days? I think it's important.
0: Mm-hmm. I do think it's important. You know, you're media. Right. Right. So, it's I mean, it's taken many strange forms. You know, y- you, um, you have a foundation and a base and an audience. Mm-hmm. Right. So if we sign, you know, this bottle of water and, we w- and we're trying to crack your audience, we need you. Right.
1: So, you know, you're pushing an artist for the first time, though. Like, is it important for you that they get on all these Instagram accounts of all these, uh, like how much out of your way do you go to sort of you know, start seeding them into these roles?
0: At first, I didn't think so. And then we had a lunch on f- this past Friday with some executives, uh-huh. and um again, this was what you know my son and cooper you know were um they were saying, "You know we need these Instagram accounts, we need you you know I always knew that we needed YouTube, um, and I was like, "We need to just attack the streets, and they said, "This is the streets, and I was just like, "I can't see Instagram being the streets, but I guess I was proven wrong on Friday, yeah, it's not even so much that it's the streets,
1: so much as that it's it's just everything." To so many people now.
0: Yeah. And, you but, know, other, but,
1: other social media matters as well, but Instagram's really the one.
0: You know, so, but to me, it's still, you need to focus on what your audience is. Mm. You know, I'd rather have a smaller audience and knowing that are going to be loyal than, you know, I'd rather have 500 likes than 5,000 likes if the other, f- you know, 4,500 people are never going to come and see anything. mm well, like, the essence
1: of having a really big artist is that you have a lot of very uninvolved participants taking this in. Like, that's one thing you realize over time is that, like, you can have a thousand hardcore fans, but if you're going to get to having a million fans, you know, you're probably not going to have a thousand, a million hardcore fans. You're going to no, have a whole lot of people who just kind of know about you.
0: But you know what? I'd rather, if I, if you're gonna have a million fans, then I need to have at least 60% that are super fans. Hmm. Interesting.
1: Okay, um, so <laughs> <laughs> some of the long pauses that you've been doing have kind of yeah. got me. I'm like, not really sure, I like where exactly to hop in there.
0: You can hop in wherever you want. Okay.
1: <laughs> um, okay. So, what are you excited about right now? And is Loud back? I was, I was nah. reading that, and then I'm like,
0: I'm not hearing you mention it, so I'm like, No. Nah. So not the case. I licensed. Sony owns the name for Loud Records. Okay. So. There's a loud music group that I was on the border of and just, you know, they still can't... They could sign whatever they want to sign, but anything creative for the brand itself, I, but I'm not involved with it whatsoever. Okay.
1: Was that something at one point where you wanted to have that name again? Would that mean something to you for the family?
0: Um, I mean, I still don't allow, you know loud I, I just can't put out records under loud records but I still own the name loud records. Right. Um you know what it's not fair for the new artists and it's not fair for the for the old artists. You know, it's like I could go on Instagram now and um say hey, you know, come, you know, give me 16, right? Mm. And it's going to be all New York shit from the 80s and the 90s. Like it's it's not going to be what's going on now. So I'm at the point where it's just like, you know what, my dad. So the new company that we have is called Spring Sound. Mm-hmm. My dad's label was called Spring, mm-hmm. and paying homage to him, I said, you know what, I'm going to do it. I called up all my cousins. I said, is it, is it cool that I do this? And they said, yeah. That felt like it was,
1: you know, sort of carrying on the legacy to an extent.
0: I just, you know, it's not even really about the legacy. It's it's really about just. Um, paying my dad respect, mm. and my my uncle's still alive. So, but he's just old. Um, but it's really paying them respect and saying, you know, what if it wasn't for you guys, I wouldn't be here. Mm. It's interesting because I feel like, or do you feel like,
1: for a younger, newer artist, that being associated with anything that feels old school is sometimes not a good thing. And that the loud name, like to a lot of people, just reads as like, yeah, like a classic the, label.
0: But the thing is, their parents knew what
1: loud was, right? Right. So, and that's kind of what a lot of kids don't want. They don't want to support yeah, anything but, that their parents would but, know about. You
0: know, the kid that we signed out of Oregon, you know, his dad is a huge Wu fan. Mm. So, even though it's not called loud, I mean, Bird is just ecstatic. Mm.
1: So, I mean, at least loud. Went away for a while, so that would explain why, like the younger generation might not know about. It. When you think about something like Def Jam, it's like Def Jam's been active all these years, and
0: nobody uh, gives a fuck about the brand name. Yeah, I mean, just they put out horrible records.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just feels like it's kind of that's sad. Like even even when I was young and the Def Jam video game was out, it already kind of felt like, oh okay, yeah.
0: Like I guess that is that's still a, a pretty significant label, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's certainly. I mean, no, a they're lot. a major, but you know what? They still got. Kanye, they got Rihanna, they got Justin, you know. Yeah. But now they just got to figure out what their team is inside, right? And break some new artists. And they can have
1: all those artists. It's just that the the audience doesn't associate with any of those artists with the label, regardless.
0: Wasn't yeah, executing what's going on today?
1: Mm. Interesting.
0: Uh, the DMX.
1: really how would you describe where DMX was at in his life prior to uh,
0: recent events? Um, he was happy. Really? He was starting to get there? Yeah. I mean, I wasn't around during the Rough Rider days. Um, I was around, but I I wasn't managing him. Uh But, you know, he was really finding, you know, the last three years that I was with him, from the first day until right before he passed, I mean, the growth and the peace and the happiness that he was trying to find was incredible. He was really on that path. He was trying to Yeah. Find that? Interesting. I mean, I'll tell you, like right after Versus, you know, that he did with Snoop, Mm -hmm. a few days later, I go visit my mom and I come back and he's in my backyard uh, taking care of one of my dogs who just had an operation and he was feeding him a sandwich. He goes, we got to get his confidence back. And, um, he would show up every day at four o'clock to give the dog a sandwich, play with him. And just like for an hour, like like he was a physical therapist. Wow, that's crazy. And he goes, "You don't mind?" And I'm like, you know, and like I would just, I would like if I wasn't there, I would always end up seeing him at the end of it, you know, mm-hmm. or was, you know, there would be times that I I didn't have anything, but um, yeah, I mean, I mean, if you weren't at peace and trying to find happiness. You wouldn't be in my backyard every day giving my dog a turkey sandwich. Right. And getting his confidence back. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy that that uh,
1: dog connection that he had extends to all kinds of people's dogs that he
0: didn't even. I mean, I just bought another one. I'm getting it in six weeks. Another dog. Yeah. And um, I'm naming him D. Well, it's a she. Oh, okay. But Boomer. Boomer's not really a female name. That's a good point. (laughs)
1: oh man i just interviewed uh corrupt and he was talking about how he just randomly uh ran into dmx in the airport and they had beef for all these years over foxy brown and uh because allegedly dmx was sleeping Mm -hmm. with her while they were married or whatever and he runs into him in the in the airport and they both miss their flights because they're just hanging out and drinking and just having a great time and uh yeah, I mean, it feels like a lot of people kind of had that sort of feeling about DMX towards the end of his life, that he was really making that effort to
0: change his life. Method Man told me a story yesterday about he... It's probably one of the best stories I've ever heard in my life. Okay. I'm, I'm going to try and say it, and I'm sure I'm going to fuck it up somehow, some way. Take it, take it for granted that Method Man might have a rhetorical style that uh, is missing here. <laughs> nah, so, no, so the funny thing is somebody sent me the article... Mm-hmm. but them being interviewed together, so I guess I don't know if they were doing a movie together or if they were shooting some type of commercial or whatever, and um, you know, there were cops on the set mm-hmm. and X went to meth and he said um, come on, let's take the car <laughs> <laughs> and um, they jump into the car and they pulled somebody over and X and X gets out of the car, asks for a registration and license, and this person gives him the registration and license, and um, X told him that you shouldn't be speeding, and that you know I'm going to give you a pass and just go on your merry way. And I mean, I had tears. I'm fucking up the story, right. but <laughs> but I had I had I had tears last night when I when I heard the story. And then, mess manager. It's on my phone. I'll show you. Like, sent me this text this morning at the crack of dawn because I guess they took the red eye after the awards. And there's this interview, somebody interviewing Meth and X, and they're telling the story. Uh huh. Wow. And they just took the cop car, and the cops didn't care. I'm sure they did. Maybe the cops didn't know.
1: <laughs> I, I thought that the story was going to end totally different. When I heard they took the cop's car, I'm like, oh, dear God, what's, what's going to happen? But, okay, that's good. Jesus. Um. Yeah, I mean, rest in peace, uh, yeah. DMX, man. That's crazy. Um, Is there anything left in this game that you feel like you want to accomplish, and in particular, targets, things that you haven't done yet that you want to accomplish?
0: Um, I mean, I pretty much accomplished everything, but I want this label because we own it 100%. I'm not with a a major. Mm. I want it to be the biggest label I've had. Right. So like every view on YouTube is ours. Mm. Every, you know, whatever, you know, so this is us 100% and we're going 50-50 with every artist that we sign. Right. So I want this label i mean they've all both meant the world to me Uh but like this is it's this is just a different feeling like i looked over the weekend i looked on how many views i've had on youtube Uh with all my artists and it's north of five billion views right so it's like all right how much money is that so that's what i want mm Definitely. Because I never
1: saw that money. Right. And I mean, now, you know, the game has changed. But does it feel like that challenge of like doing it without the the majors? Is that just, is it such an overwhelming challenge? Like, do you feel like it's going to feel like a completely different thing to
0: reach a level of success without them? It's my money. So it's definitely going to be a different challenge. Before, I was playing with the house's money. Mm. But they have. Do they ha- would you say that the labels have a lot
1: available to them that you don't have available to you at this point?
0: What do they have? They have the catalog that if they have a really fucked up year mm. they can live off their catalog Right You're not going to tell me they have a better relationship at radio than me. You're not going to tell me they have a better relationship with Leo Kohn than me. You're not going to tell me they have a better relationship with Apple or Spotify than me. They might be able to bargain more mm. but when it comes to one on one they can't touch me impressive
1: Steve Rifkin thank you appreciate you man right. <laughs> that's a good conversation <laughs> appreciate you man Steve Rifkin No Jumper coolest podcast in the world check us on YouTube SoundCloud iTunes like comment subscribe nojumper.com if you want to support and Friday we'll be listening to your music on stream
0: appreciate y'all alright thank you